you don't always have to shout about being vegan. Let people come in and then educate. Don't put those barriers up. First, educate. Welcome to the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show with your host, Jerry Saber. Hello and welcome to episode 34 of the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show. My name is Jerry Saver, and this is the podcast for you if you're looking for inspiration and ideas on how to get started or if you want to learn more about the skills to run a successful plant-based business. Today we're going to be talking about ethical vegan fashion and if this is something that interests you then make sure you don't miss Vegan Business Summit in September. What it is, it's an online event, like a virtual conference, and it's actually the first ever event of its kind. It's dedicated completely to plant-based business and all the opportunities in this industry. And we will be dedicating one entire day to the topic of vegan fashion and materials. So if you have any ideas for a cruelty-free clothing or accessories brand, or if you want to learn more about the future of leather and other materials, Go visit the event website right now. That's veganbusinesssummit.com because you can still submit the most important questions that you would like our speakers to answer. So that's veganbusinesssummit.com. You just go there, click on the big button in the middle of the page that says start survey and then just let us know what exactly you want to hear at this event. And right now we're going to dive into a segment of the vegan fashion market that we've actually never covered before in the plant-based entrepreneur show. Joining me today is Laura Stageman from the UK, who's the founder of a company called Watch. So you can take a guess at what her main product is, but really when you think of it, if you're the kind of person who tries to avoid leather wherever possible, then finding an elegant watch with a nice non-leather strap can really be a daunting task. Well, watch is changing that. So today's discussion will be about the vegan fashion market, the search for the right materials and the right suppliers, and what exactly makes a vegan fashion accessory brand successful. Laura, welcome to the show. Hello. Nice to talk to you. Thank you for joining me. I take it that the heat wave is still going on in the UK? Yeah, I'm having to work from home today. Rolo, our dog, which many of you have, may have seen on the website, is the best place to keep him to keep cool. So he's been hanging out of his bed. So we're working from home. It's actually pretty funny because I'm not used to talking to people from, from the UK and having cooler weather here in Mexico than the new guys have over there. But that, that's been the case this week. Yeah, I think it's been our hottest uh, summer on record since 1977, 1978, well, June. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been a challenge. Everything's breaking down like it does when the snow breaks. <laughs> snow as well, so the trains are slow. Everything's slow. Not really we'll made for hot south. weather in the country. <laughs> okay, cool. let's get this started. We're going to talk about watch a lot, but before that, let's let's talk about you a little bit. So, what was your life like? before you started watch? 
before starting Voch, I was actually a commercials TV producer. Um, I've been in London now for 10 years and I kind of fell into advertising. And I was working as a commercials TV producer and working in lots of big brands and big clients all across the globe. So uh, making the transition from a TV producer into Voch was quite different. Um, but I worked on lots of big brands. And one thing as I had gone into a vegan lifestyle I struggled with was working in agencies and working in places which had brands that didn't fit with my morals and where I was and I quickly knew that I had to create and do something different I had had to plant the seed whilst working in those agencies that and the time was coming that I needed to do something else so tv producing and then going into watchmaking was that something that you kind of envisioned yourself doing when you were younger or did you just go with the flow and um see where, where your ideas took you? No, never. If somebody had said to me when I was younger, you're going to own a vegan watch business one day, I would never have believed them. Um, it was not something I'd ever planned, but when the idea came up, when I couldn't find a vegan watch, I suddenly reminisced back to times as a child. I just absolutely loved watches. Any time I had some birthday money or, um, you know, a significant event, I would always look for watches and really, really treasured them. I guess Looking back, I can see the connection now, but never, ever did I think I would be where I am today, owning a vegan watch business. So you're not from a family with, you know, centuries of watchmaking tradition in it or, or anything like that? No, I'm completely new to this. I'm not going to deny it. <laughs> no, no Swiss ancestors or anything? No, no <laughs> Swiss. No, nothing. But we're a very boring family in that way. What was actually the vegan part of this journey? Like, what, what turned you on to that? So whilst I was working in production, actually, at the time, I um, was having really bad eczema. I was away shooting. Um, I was in New York, Toronto, Berlin, and I'd forgotten to take my steroid creams for my eczema. Um, and my skin flared really badly. Um, then, upon coming home, my skin was so bad, my eczema was coming up everywhere. I was covered in bruises that I went to the doctors and they sent me straight to the hospital. Um, they prescribed me more steroid creams. Then, through a friend of a friend, they turned around to me and said, you know, if you want to get rid of your eczema, you need to stop the steroid creams. Cold turkey, you just have to stop them. So I discovered a charity called ITSAN, um, International Topical Steroid Awareness Network. And there was so much proof there that actually your skin gets worse using steroid creams. So in essence, my skin was an addict, an addict to the steroids, and the only way that I could get rid of my eczema was to quit the steroids. Within a week, two weeks of stopping them, all my skin fell off my body. Um, I had nothing left at all. I had to live in a bathtub for 20 hours a day in Epsom salts just to uh, get through the pain. I didn't sleep for months. My whole body swelled. Um, my skin shedded constantly. It oozed. Um, I mean, the, the pain, I didn't know there was pain like it. I didn't know pain like it could exist. Um, and during that time, I became very health conscious and really saw the link between gut health and skin health, um, which led me to discover a vegan diet. And during all those hours spent in the bathtub, I would have the laptop propped up and watch lots of documentaries. And it was at the time Cowspiracy and various fashion documentaries were out. And I just educated myself on uh, the leather industry specifically. And spending, I mean, I think I was in the bathtub for like four or five months solidly. And it also it almost reset me. It almost 
brought back that compassion I'd had as a child and, you know, you're born with, I literally felt completely reset again. And I just knew I had to do something, knew I had to make a change. And that's kind of how veganism found me. I had to go back into advertising um, following my condition, but knew that I had to leave. I knew I had to get out. Um, and then whilst working at an agency, uh, an old, a colleague sat next to me and she said, you know what, my, uh, no, my friends really, really struggled to find a vegan leather watch strap for um, her partner. And I was like, oh, that's interesting and then that week literally it was like fate came to me and my watch strap broke and I couldn't I had the same problem because I had vowed having had topical steroid withdrawal the condition that I suffered with that I would never wear the skin of another living being ever again and I couldn't find one anywhere so I thought there's only one way to remedy this and to solve this and that's to create my own watch brand nice so <laughs> you know I, I think watches are really one of those luxury goods where leather is usually advertised as top tier option same as handbags and car seats and i don't know what else and i'm really glad that this is slowly slowly changing i mean obviously it's decades behind fur but it's it's essentially the same thing when when you really think of it completely and that's the one thing I really struggled with and having watched so many documentaries and I was like people the way that we naturally shun fur we don't have that same approach to leather we almost accept it it's on the backs of our jeans it's on the tag like little toggles of bags but if that was a piece of fur or you know have fur, people would look at it so much differently and I couldn't understand why leather wasn't having encouraging the same response so I think a lot of people kind of justify it because, and I know I did when I was vegetarian prior to being vegan, it was almost in the same camp as you ate dairy and you ate cheese. It was almost like you had leather shoes, like, and you don't make that connection. It's, it's, it's a journey in terms of discovering and resetting your thought process. And I just couldn't help but view leather the same way I'd always viewed fur. So it, it, the whole perception of the way that leather is produced and made and used has to change. Yeah, exactly. And I'm glad to see that at least some documentaries now are moving us into that direction as well. I mean, you've probably seen the um, the True Cost movie. Yeah. Yeah, that one has a really good section on, on the leather industry. It really shows it exactly the way it is. So um, how exactly did you go about starting this business? So that was the idea that you got. What happened then? What were the steps that you took? How long did it take you from idea to your first product? Oh, so I think the idea, it's really hard because it kind of sat with me for a few months. I've had a, quite a few ideas over the years and I kind of sat on it for about four months while I let it sink in and just make sure this was something that I really wanted to go through with because obviously starting and creating a business and the investment that you have to put in is a huge step. So it was April last year I got my first sample so it's about just over two years ago that the idea came to me and in terms of steps that I took the first thing I did was I attended a workshop for the small business centre in London so I attended a workshop um, with about 10-12 other people where we sounded out our ideas and they kind of talked to us about what it would be like when you started your own business and then put you on a program for mentorship. So I did the first workshop and we sat around the table and talked about our ideas. And then I talked about a vegan watch company and everybody was really 
intrigued and interested and it kind of gave me that little bit of confidence and the hope that I needed that really did push me through I was like okay people are responding well so after that I spent a lot of time writing a business plan, a lot of time researching how I was going to source a factory, how I was actually going to make my watches, how I was actually going to design them. It was a whole new world to me. I'd, I'd never done this before. Like I said, I was working in production at the time, so I would spend my lunchtime scrolled away in a little vegetarian cafe down the road and spend my evenings researching, looking at designs. And I would went and bought myself a ruler and some pencils and some paper and just began sketching and designing and what I wanted to do so that was probably within about four or five months I'd finished my business plan and had sought mentorship and had a mentor who I would see on a weekly basis and to help guide me through the process and development but he had really pushed me and it was a lot a lot of my legwork that I had to do um I asked questions along the way anybody I could see meet I just asked questions and hoped that I would be guided in the right direction. I came across a website called China and Portal. Well, one of the things that I first did actually, being a British company, I was like, well, you know, we'll keep the production here, we'll make our watches here. You know, I was completely naive and new to this and then soon realised that there wasn't any avenue to create and manufacture our watches here unless our price point was going to be over like £1,000 or something. Um, and having done my consumer research, looking at the price point the only viable option really was to bring the business to life was to get them produced in Asia so obviously having watched a true cast and seeing what you see about working in factories abroad I kind of went on to it with a real I'm not going to bring botch to life unless the factories and the people working to make botch happen are working in good conditions so I sourced um, a company that actually went and sourced factories for me based on a list of specifics and demands that I requested. When I received that shortlist, I worked with another third party, so they weren't connected, um, to go with me and to visit the factories. And it was a real eye-opener, actually, because one on paper, having spoken to them, I probably, you know, had I not visited, I would have gone, gone with. But when visiting the factory I was like this these aren't conditions that I want to make my products in um and I found one fa factory that was just absolutely fantastic and whilst the samples that they had created for me weren't the closest to the design that I wanted I delayed our launch date by a few months because I wanted to work with them to get our product finished and right because it was so important for me to work with a factory that had fantastic working conditions I mean they pay fairly um they all finish on time every day. Um, they have a party once a month. They pay their social security. There's uh, avenues for promotion there. So all of that was really, really important to me. So that's how we started. I mean, there's the, it's a long story. I mean, I could go into it. I could talk about it for hours because obviously it was years and months of planning. But that's kind of how, how we got there. If you don't mind talking about it just for a little bit more, two things that I wanted to ask you was... Um, one was the workshop that you took for, for small businesses. Was that fashion specific or was that any kind of business? It was any kind of business. I'd never worked in fashion before, so I kind of felt quite green to it. So it was important to me to work. And they pay you with a mentor who has got that experience. So that was really helpful. And the other thing that I wanted to ask regarding your um, search for, for the right supplier, you said that you partnered with with a company that would source and scout out the, the suppliers for you. What was their name? I mean, just in case that someone is thinking along the same lines or has 
a business idea that they, they want to explore? It was China and Portal I worked with first and then a company called My Office in China. My Office in China, yeah. So basically they go, you, you give them your, your requirements and what you're looking for and then they, they go and do the research. So it's actually run by a guy called Ron. Um, he's from London, actually, and he's lived over in China now, I think, for over 20 years. So he really understands the kind of demands that we set and meet. Um, and I work with one of his employees called Sarah. Um, she's fantastic. She's absolutely crazy and lovely and wonderful. Um, so I meet her when I go over and we uh, we visit the factory together. And she gives me the insights and tells me what could be improved, what needs and she was incredibly impressed with who we were working with. So when you were looking for the supplier, what, what were the requirements that you gave them for the materials? Because, okay, the, the watch itself, the body is not going to have any leather in it, but the straps, what were you looking for? I wanted uh, the greenest form of polyurethane straps that I could find at the time um, and they needed to comply with REACH and ROS so they are guidelines set out by the EU that uh, ROS is the risk of hazardous substances and REACH is also um, REACH is also a body in terms of limitations of any harmful chemicals that are set within so that was my policy that they had to meet and re pass REACH and ROS. Did you do any specific research on the whole vegan leather industry when when you were starting out and designing the the straps yeah i mean i i looked to see what the best material at the time was going to be in at the time um for durable it, it was polyurethane um we wanted to make sure they were pvc free um and since then we've come on and we are now using a new material which is uh, polyurethane free the new collection is actually tpe uh cotton and um polyester mix so for anyone who might not be intimately familiar with all these materials, can you just run down the, the major properties or the major differences between them? Because I think, I think it's a really fascinating and it's actually a very fast emerging industry as well. The um, whole, not just the vegan leathers, but um, fake alternative leathers. So... In the new collection, the fabric we use is uh, TPE, cotton and polyester mixture. Uh, TPE stands for thermoplastic elastomer. It is a blend of two or more polymers designed to impart more elastic properties. Um, and the one that we use is a blend of polymers, compromise of polyester and cotton, as I said. Cool. And the um, typical the polyurethane leather, that's the PPU? In our classic collection, we use polyurethane. Polyurethane fabric is made by applying or laminating 100% polyurethane finish to a base material. Um, so for us, we use a cotton-knitted microfiber, and that's covered with polyurethane. You know, if, if we're talking vegan leather alternatives in, in general, do you think there's anything that, that could still improve? Or what do you reckon is the next step? Or what's, what has the biggest potential in, in that space? I think it's going to be uh, vegetable-based leathers, actually. I think with the we are actually going to be launching a Pinatex. I don't know if you've heard about Pinatex. Oh, yeah, of course. Nice. We're going to be using Pinatex drops, which are due to be finished this week. So we'll be launching our Pinatex collection in the next few weeks, which is really exciting. So I think, and there's obviously new skin, which is now around the leather made from vegetables. So I think the more that we can move into vegetable-based leathers as well, um, I think that there's, there's a real market for that there. 
Since you're working with Pinatex and, and you mentioned MuseKin, how do they compare to, to the materials that you're using right now? At the moment, they feel a lot more fibrous. I haven't actually seen MuseKin. I've just seen MuseKin online. I don't think they're ready. Just I need, I'm going to wait a little bit until we go into MuseKin. Um, it's another area I want to cover. The quality and feel of the polyurethane base and the TPE-based faux leathers we use completely emulate leather. They feel the texture, the durability of them is very much more leather-like, as in you could show somebody and they would never actually believe that it was it was faux. Uh, the Pinatex, for example, is a lot more fibrous, so you can actually see the grains, you can feel it. The texture of it is is quite different, so... That's how they kind of vary at the moment, but both incredibly durable, both incredibly long and hard wearing. And obviously, well, Pinutex is made from pineapple fibers, which are not actual pineapples, as as I learned, but the the waste material from pineapple processing. Exactly, exactly. It's a byproduct of the pineapple harvest. So it actually gives the farmers um, additional income as well and no extra land, water or fertilizers are used at all. And you're going to keep the production with the same manufacturer in China, just supplying them the, the different materials? Yeah, that's how we're working at the moment. What's your opinion of China as and, and their potential for, for plant-based business? I think... You know, China is one of the the biggest manufacturing hub in the world, and they are so powerful and they're so forward in terms of what they're able to create. I mean, if anyone can create anything, it's China, and they do so incredibly well. I think the Chinese government have actually are trying to reduce meat consumption by fifty percent by twenty twenty, which is which is huge, which is a massive. So I think I'm hoping based on that, there's a huge play there for plant based businesses. Um, to explore China and to use those. And I think China isn't one of the most animal-friendly countries in terms of the laws and animal protection it has. And my standpoint on it has always been, well, you can't avoid, you can't, you have to go in and educate and talk to people about it. And one of the things, my factory owner, he was like, yeah, my wife's pretty much vegan and took us to two vegan restaurants whilst we were there. But I think there's a huge place for it, but we, we have to ask for it. We have to create the demand for it. And if the demand is there, then it will be possible. And they will make that possible, so long as the demand is there. Where is the this factory based? It's in Shenzhen. Shenzhen, yeah, that, that's a really big hub there. And, and they have vegan restaurants? Yeah, <laughs> two. Um, they're fantastic, really good. But uh, one, yeah, one of the first wholesale stockists we actually had as a request was from China. So, you know, China is obviously incredibly vast and I'm not, we're not, it's not a market that we're, we're selling in at the moment, but it would be great to see if, if there is a shift in veganism there in the coming years. The way I see it, if when we we do make a massive shift to, to veganism on a global scale, China will have to be right at the forefront of it. Completely. I completely agree. But like I said, the demand has to be there. If the demand is there, they will meet it. Yeah. Now, it's a slightly different question. All of this business planning and uh, manufacturing before you even launched the product, how, how long did it take from idea to first product? Uh, the idea happened in August 2015. I got my first sample April 2016, and we launched in August 2016. One year, basically. Yeah, 10 months. 10 and a half months old at the moment. How did you fund all this? 
funding-wise, I got a loan from the Small Business Centre. So, and I half-funded it myself as well. Nice. Because, you know, one of the things that I'm really waiting to see is I don't know how much, uh, how many Kickstarter ads you see on, on your Facebook wall, but I'm, I'm getting bombarded by them. And it seems to me that like every other week there's this new watch on there that's raising hundreds and millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And I'm just waiting or either watch or, or a wallet. Those two are like evergreen, super popular products. So I'm just waiting to see the first vegan leather product make its appearance. So what, what do you think of, of Kickstarter? And did you ever consider it as, as a funding source? Well, there's actually been two other vegan watch brands on there which was successful and did really well. Um, I was considering Kickstarter, but um, I'm incredibly stubborn in a way. And I came up with the idea of it and I was like, no, I, I'm going to make this work and so be it on my head if it all falls through. And I thought, you know what, I want this to be my responsibility. And every penny I put in, I want to prove to myself that, uh, you know, Botch becomes a success. Um, so I think Kickstarter is great, especially if you haven't got the means of funding at all. And it's an incredible way to test your market and to get feedback and to make sure that your customers are there. Um, I spent 10 years in marketing and advertising and I was watching around me as this vegan market emerged and grew and in my head. I was so passionate about it. I just couldn't see how Botch couldn't work. And fortunately, the gamble paid off. Um, but I, I think, you know, Kickstarter is a great idea for anyone with an idea and wanting to test it. But there are so many, it's so saturated now. And it, there seems to be Kickstarters for so many ideas. And I think if you've got a niche product, then it, it's a fantastic platform. And since you touched on it, what about your marketing? First of all, when did you start it in that 10-month period? When did you actually first make your idea public? And second, in more important, what did you use to start attracting your audience and your customers? It was about four months prior to Botch actually opening its virtual doors that we started posting on Instagram. Um, and we built most of our following from Instagram, actually. It, and it's a great tool when you're starting out because obviously it's free um so that was a great platform for us we also set up a facebook page set up a twitter and um yeah we contacted people saying we're setting up a vegan watch brand and like i said most of our followers really did come from social media cool so just instagram facebook basically i mean instagram is is the kind of medium that lends itself perfectly to pretty much anything that looks nice yeah and if we're talking fashion then yeah, you, you've got your work cut out for you. Yeah, you know, I work closely with a photographer. Um, so for me, aesthetics is key, obviously. Um, but I also think we were quite lucky because we were one of the first vegan watch companies on the on the market, and especially in the UK. We gained and garnered a lot of press off the back of it. We were featured in the Huffington Post. We won a Peter Award fairly early on for best men's vegan watches. So even just being quite a new product, we gained a lot of marketing um, purely through PR purposes. So audience versus customers, what, what's your strategy right now for, for just maintaining brand awareness on, on Instagram, for instance? Our main drive at the moment is brand awareness and to spread the word. Um, 
So currently we're working with a few influencers. We're becoming more widely stocked. We've actually just signed a deal with the UK's largest watch shop. Um, they're called The Watch Shop. Um, and we're working with their PR company as well, which is quite a big one here in London. So that's actually one of our marketing tactics at the moment. Um, we're a small company. We've only been 10 and a half months and our marketing budget is by no means huge. So we do a lot of giveaways. We do lots of competitions. We pair up with various magazines and bloggers. And that seems to be working for us at the moment. And hopefully, we'll, you know, we'll expand. We do a lot of Facebook advertising as well. Not too much, but we do do a bit. But it's all, it's all based on financials at the moment, which is always obviously a challenge in startup phase. Yeah. Who's the we you're talking about? <laughs> Who, who's on the team besides you and uh, what, what's his name Volo the Rolo my dog yeah <laughs> it, it's it's just me at the moment um I it's a challenge that that's one of the biggest challenges we're, we're facing at the moment we grew at a speed we watch grew at a speed um which I wasn't expecting which is fantastic it's showing us demand for vegan and cruelty free products out there which you know is just fantastic that people are buying more consciously and are aware of what's happening to animals um but I work it's me I have a fulfillment center now which is a luxury so they actually ship the watches on a daily basis um they log in we use Shopify as our back end um so they're logged into all of those and they they ship all the orders that come in and they're also logged into any other retailers um where I manage the back end of that um and then I work with a girl who I used to work with back in advertising she set up her own design agency um she's a massive animal lover she's vegetarian and I just I wanted to work with people that shared the same morals and goals as me. So, yeah, so I worked with her to do various bits of website updates. But in terms of on a day-to-day basis and who's running the company, that's me. <laughs> that's you. So all that, the, the watch designs, all of that is you? Everything. Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge, shall we say. Like, yeah, it's all-encompassing. It's all you think about. It's all you live about, live, breathe constructing sentences without muttering is or getting lost is difficult now because your brain's always like 10 steps ahead of what's actually coming out of your mouth but um I hope you know we can expand in the next few months I wanted to grow organically and you know make sure it's a viable business and we're getting there <laughs> okay I, I have to ask this follow-up question now that I know it's it's just you taking all of this forward how do your days work how do you function in in all those roles that you have in this company? Uh, it's, I mean, it, it's everything down to making sure we've got our packaging and supplies, to designing the next collection, to sourcing the new fabrics, to doing all our marketing and PR. Good question. I will try and set aside and I, I structure myself on a day-to-day basis. I have a little studio just down the road where I go and work. So I will structure it and go, okay, today I'm going to focus on marketing. Today I'm going to focus on designs. Today I'm going to focus on blogging. Today I'm going to focus on, you know, variety of trade shows or dealing with stockists or seeing where we are in terms of our stock levels and needing to get more in. But having been a TV producer, it was constant moving. It was constant parts and constantly thinking of your feet. And I think having done that for 10 years, I was fairly well trained in terms of always being on it, knowing what needed to be done, knowing what needed to be actioned. And I've had so many transferable skills from that role that has actually lent itself quite well to watch and just just kind of knowing where it's in. But that's also very hard with 
if you're going to hire someone, one of my biggest problems is letting go because I know the business so well inside out. It is my baby. It's like another subconscious part of my personality now. Um, so passing that, passing and delegating is something that's going to be a real challenge, I think. That's probably the number one issue for any business owner who spends a lot of her or his time building the brand up from the start. And then when they get to the point where it is time to start delegating, it's a, what do you delegate and how do you really let go of the things that, you know, work because of your efforts? What keeps you sane in, in all of this? I mean, obviously you, you don't seem like the person who'd be totally overwhelmed with all of this because of your previous experience in TV producing. Still, how do you manage um, I am trying to get better at uh, exercising a little bit more. You kind of, when you run your own business, and I'm incredibly guilty of feeling guilty about when I'm not working. So the second I wake up, I reach for my phone. You know, we're trading globally, so I'm I'm constantly getting messages from stockists, contacts, my factory. My phone just does not stop. My husband is just like, you just turn it, like it just doesn't stop constantly. Um, so I've been trying to start doing a bit, bit more exercise and seeing my friends and food. Food's a big savior of mine. But mentally, I, trying to meditate a little bit and trying to just switch off your brain. But I mean, yeah, I've I've always been quite high functioning in that I don't really ever stop. I'm not one of those people that can ever easily relax. And even just the thought of planning or going on a holiday right now, I'm not sure. So yeah, you you sound like one of those people who is just wired the the right way to to be able to to handle all of this. Obviously, when when you find that thing or a collection of things that keep you grounded and and allow you to recharge. Like you said, exercise, friends, food, bit of meditation. That's what you need to, to keep on going. Yeah. And I think for me, it's, you know, ultimately, you know, we run a business, but the, the goal always was to highlight that the thought of animal cruelty and animals being the way they are treated globally. It breaks my heart. I, I can't comprehend it and I can't understand it for me being able to one showcase that it is possible to buy accessories and products without having inflicted any harm or death on a creature or definitely death and see in the case of leather but also the fact that we can raise money to help the charities that are trying to help those that's what drives me and keeps me doing what i'm doing yeah because you're you're sharing the part of your profits with with charities as well right yeah we donate 10 percent of our profits um every three months to our charity of the season so do you happen to know what percentage of your customers are are vegan and how many are just, you know, doing it because they, they prefer to wear non-leather stuff? No, I, I don't know the percentage at the moment, actually. Um, I found it really hard recently, actually, because I was in a... I was in, we did a pop-up for a couple of days and the woman came in looking for a strap and she said to me, oh, have you got a spare watch strap? I want it for a, another brand that sells leather straps. And I was like, yeah, I've got one. She said, oh, but when it lasts as long as leather. And you know, when you're just like, no, yes, it will. It will last, it will last. So we are very focusing and marketing in the vegan market. And once we've conquered and 
the vegan industry know who Botch is, then we'll branch out and start targeting and educating. Because one of the things I find at the moment is the positioning. And almost when you use the word vegan and when people aren't vegan, it almost puts up a barrier. And people kind of go, oh, well, I can't, that's not for me. I'm not vegan. People have said to me before, well, I can't wear it. I'm not vegan. And then you start playing around with cruelty-free in terms of a tone of voice and then people are like oh cruelty free then why is my other watch why is that cruel and so at the moment we're understanding our positioning and how we can target when we go into a a more mainstream audience um like I said we are we are now sold with one of the UK's largest watch shop which obviously we're positioned in a lot of vegan boutiques across the world but um yeah now that we're in a in a more mainstream marketplace it will be interesting to see see how people that aren't vegan or conscious or wary how they respond and um you you mentioned this largest uk watch watch shop Mm -hmm. you said it's called the watch shop the watch shop yeah right do you know what percentage of your sales are from from your retailers and how many does your online store bring in like, do you have a rough estimate of that? I don't at the moment. I don't because so many of our relationships are new. We've not uh, with the stockists because we've only just recently said so we don't have the data yet. But I would say we're probably higher at the moment on our online store. We've had so much support because I'm completely honest and open. And one thing that I always really wanted to do was just to completely lay out our our story. I'm completely transparent. I, you know, I, I have nothing to hide people seem to really appreciate that and the fact that they're coming to brand when they met that well, our customers message me all the time and I have wonderful lovely heartfelt messages and I think because we're quite an open brand and Rola and I try you know we tried to put a face to it we seem to garner more more online sales through our site purely because it's almost like you know who's made who's creating it at least one of the things in in this age of social media and and complete transparency well not complete transparency but you can really share anything people are really starting to react a lot more favorably to to brands that that are transparent that show things the way they are they show how they make their products where they're coming from who are the people behind them and obviously that's working for you do you think that's like the general recipe that that would work for any vegan fashion brand i don't think it necessarily has to i don't think you necessarily have to but i do think personally i love i love stories i love you know i especially love social mission and i always will try to buy as consciously and as uh, the social aim as possible but yeah i mean i think i think it depends on your product and i think it depends on the story and i think it depends and you know, I think it, it's kind of based on a case by case basis. But if you're passionate about it, if you're vegan, you want to spread the word. I think we're so fortunate in that the vegan community is one of the most supportive communities out there. And I have had nothing but support and praise along the way from fellow people. And people come up to me and go, oh, you're Laura from Varch. Oh, you on the website or see me do vegan talks here. Um and that's lovely. That's really, really nice. So I don't think if you're passionate and you care, I don't think there's any harm at all in putting your face face to your brand. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to see if all the things that we've just discussed, if they can be applied to to any fashion brand well, or any vegan brand. And 
I'm thinking that up up to a point they should be. I mean, there's there's no reason why people wouldn't react to transparency if if you're trying to sell jeans or, or jackets or, or other accessories. Yeah. Speaking of that, is, is there anything else that you think that the vegan fashion market or the accessory market is is missing? I was someone was telling me about vegan silk the other day. I'm not sure, but uh, I'd like to see more fabrics that emulate silk. That's one of the materials I miss. And it's always really hard, like, where I work with Farm Animal Rescue Sanctuary, they were one of our recent charity. Actually, sorry, can I say this bit again? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think really we're missing. I would love to see more wallet alternatives. Like I really struggle with jumpers in the winter. I really, really struggle with winter coats. That's definitely an area that I'd love to see more of. And I'll say jeans. You know, just finding a pair of jeans without the piece of leather on the back. You know, I'd love to see big brands. And I think it's really going to take big brands to start leading that way one thing I've always tried to do and I think you might see that through my branding and the messaging is to normalize it is and that's so so key to us normalize it and if you look at trends and the way that people follow suit it's all about normalizing veganism you know it's not that day we don't hug trees that's not being vegan which is a message that always came across to me when I first you know my family just completely presume that's that's way that it is and it's an education process yeah I think there's a huge gap but I think it needs to become normal it needs to become normal I think it is becoming normal and it's becoming normal at a really rapid pace at least from just the events that I visit the people that I interact with the tree hugging you know sandal wearing tie-dyeing vegan is it's pretty much a very rare breed these days I mean, you still see them. There's still the token one or two around when, when you go to a vegan festival. Yeah. But um, it's becoming mainstream a lot faster than I would have imagined even five years ago. Exactly. And don't get me wrong, I, I still love, I love a bit of tie-dye. But um, it is definitely becoming, and it's, it's, I think because it's more of a way that we live and we're based in London here and we just have so many amazing events, so many cool restaurants now. And actually that was how I kind of realised how I was going to position Botch was I was in a restaurant in New York a few years back and we'd just gone in for drinks and had a really nice time. We thought, oh, we'll go back a second night. And we went back and I thought, oh, I'll look on the menu this time. And I was reading it and I was like, I don't really know what half these ingredients are, but I'm not detecting any meat. And I turned around to the guy who was working there I said is your restaurant vegetarian so yeah we just don't advertise it and we went back the following night and we actually we ate there and um this was a good few years back when I was veggie before going vegan and um the food was just it was sensational but it was really interesting it's a super cool restaurant lower east side and you don't always have to shout about being vegan let people come in and then educate don't put those barriers up first educate because that's the only way you know I grew up in a meat-eating family and I grew up and I only found veganism like so many of us now through education and you know I'm sure most vegans weren't born vegan so it is it's all about education and normalizing and and not making the whole movement seem scary and difficult and so different that you just don't ever know how to adopt and apply that lifestyle because I think all of us that are vegan actually it's so easy it's really easy when you know what how to do what to do. Yeah, I so know. easy. It's so good. <laughs> Speaking of brands that 
aren't really advertising their um, veganism or being suitable for vegans. Since you mentioned jeans, have you heard of MUD? MUD jeans, M-U-D? Yes, I yeah. have actually. I don't think they aimed to be vegan at all, but because they're recycling their jeans, they have this circular economy. They're not using the leather tags on them. So no, I have I have heard of them to be fair, and it's one of those things that I kind of have a few websites where I go and to source things because I know they're all vegan goods. So, but I will keep my eye out. I need some new jeans. <laughs> and and it's an interesting concept because they're not selling their jeans; they're they're actually leasing them. So you can buy a pair and then. As you wear it out, you can send it back and, and you get another pair and, and then they upcycle or, or recycle that. They just mill it down and re-spin the material into, into new fabric and make another pair of pants. That's fantastic. I love that. Definitely sustainability is something that we'll look into. I mean, we try to obviously be as sustainable as possible, but that's something that we're, we'd love to you know, explore more. As we go, like we are with changing our fabric straps to Pinatek. If we get back to watch now, um, where, where are you headed with, with your products besides the, the Pinatek straps? Do um, you have anything else coming up? Any, any new collections or anything like that? Yeah, we've just launched our new collection, which has a slightly smaller face than the original collection. It's a 36 millimeter size face. All the straps are interchangeable. Um, in terms of going in a sustainable way, we, you know, for me, it's about buying one piece and buying well. So with the idea of the changeable straps, it's then that people, you know, you buy one watch and then you update the straps. Rather than buying lots of watches and different things, you just update the strap or change the color as and when you desire. So we've just launched that collection. That is, we're using a fabric from that that we import from the US. Um, we list the whole sustainability story on our website um, with them. They're, we're working with a company called Envira Leather for those. So yeah, that's really exciting. I'm really happy with that. We've got 30 different color combinations. Uh, we're going to be launching Pinatech straps to go on our classic and our new collection. And we've also just received the samples for an even smaller collection which will be coming out soon. But we definitely have plans for more collections to come out within the next few months. Just need some time to design. <laughs> <laughs> and do you have anything not watch-related in, in store as well? Or do you see your, yourself just staying with, with watches for now? There are plans, definitely. We have a product in mind that we are currently in the process of testing fabrics and designing. So, yeah, I think that will launch next year for us, for me, but it's about getting it right every single time. I don't like to rush product development because for me, design is key. Having a great product's key. If we can't get it out this year, it'll be out next year. So that's the future of watch. And how about, how do you see the future of the world unfolding if we keep on building this, this plant-based wave? I just hope it's teaches people to consume more consciously I just really what I struggle with and having worked in marketing and advertising for 10 years is the amount of wool that's pulled over people's eyes literally there's such a lack of transparency there's so much dishonesty out there that it breaks my heart having worked on that side and seeing that you can have a big check dangled hey make this product look pretty and sell 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 yeah, I used to get asked to work on ice cream brands and things and I would I would turn everything down I was like I'm not doing it because I know that I'm going to be working on a product or something show the baby calf being taken away so the way that I hope it keeps going is people think people look behind the pretty packaging people look behind like what they're buying on the shelves and make 
make that connection, actually start to make that connection. I think that's so key to me. And I want to say ignorance because, you know, there is a side of ignorance, but it's also, it's what we've learned. You know, it's really hard for people to unlearn what they've learned since they were born. So, and I think one of, I think Netflix are actually just doing a great job in educating people, especially youth. And I think it's the younger generations that we need to be working with now because they really are the key to bringing this movement forward and making it more commonplace worldwide. Yeah, and just like you said a couple of minutes ago, none of us were born vegan. That That's absolutely true. But in 10, 20 years, there will be generations that were born vegan. And you know, we're going to have more and more young people who never tasted meat or, or animal products in their lives. And for them, it's going to be absolutely normal not to use animals, whether for us it was a learning transformative process. Yeah, exactly. And I do think we will look back on this day. I don't know if you've seen Simon um, Still's Carnage. You know, I fear one day that will be a reality and we'll look back and just be like, how do we let those atrocities happen? Like how just, you know, going back to how fur is deemed, you know, we shun fur and leather is acceptable. It's the same here, you know, I see petitions all the time about Yulin Dog Meat Festival, which is just awful. But also here we have such squalor, awful conditions in pig factories. You know, it's just, we can't put one species on a pedestal and not another. Like we have to look after animals and also the planet. Oh, I just hope we don't have the same kind of psychological issues that, that the people in the carnage movie have with, with processing this. That's definitely a good market now. Counselors for that time. Counseling for people that get the realization. I said the same thing. I said we had a Maiden Hackney, which is a charity we're currently supporting. They are a plant-based community kitchen group, but they had their summer party last night. And I don't know about you, but I've been vegan. I can never remember how long. I think a couple of years or so. But I think not very long ago, it was a Saturday night and I was staying in and I was like, right, I'm going to go and uh, treat ourselves to a, a tub of ice cream. Me and my husband were staying in. And all my targeted Facebook advertising and all the groups I'm in a vegan group. So 99% of my feed is vegan. And I saw this one brand of ice cream. I was like, yeah, a new vegan ice cream. Really exciting. Great. Went down, walked down to our local health food shop and it was next to another vegan ice cream. And it was like seven pounds a tub. And, you know, I just completely had it in my head. Completely had it. I don't know why. And it was vegan. I thought I sort of posted in the vegan ice cream group, came back, devoured half the tub. And I turned around to my husband, who's also vegan, and said, that was really creamy. They must have used, that was like, tasted like cashew nut milk. That's got to be. Picked up the box and it was cow's milk. And as I was hot, and I was saying this to the guys, and I was heartbroken, like absolutely heartbroken because I've been vegan for so long and you just see and we had to go to bed. We ate it and we were both so depressed and felt, we actually felt awful as well. We felt so physically unwell. Um, but I was just heartbroken, just absolutely heartbroken. So when you're saying about maybe if we come by the psychological effects, that psychological effect of that one mishap obviously it was never never intentional would never be intentional but things like that and you know you just it was massive massive mistake I still beat myself up about it but you know I'm doing more than most and that was just a complete fraudulent error yeah I I can relate to that as well I mean it's it's happened to me before but it's not like you you did it on purpose 
Exactly. But like you said, the, the, the psychological effects of that, I think after that, I always needed to talk to someone because I was like, no. Final question, Laura. I know that people are right now wondering where, where to learn more about Watch and, and maybe get some for themselves. So what, what's your website? What are your Instagram and, and Facebook feeds? Yeah, so you can find our watches, our watches at www.voch.co.uk and you can find us on all social media channels, um, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, our handle is VochWatch. Yeah, and you ship internationally as well for, for the listeners on this side of the pond? Yeah, free worldwide delivery. Free worldwide. Awesome. So that's watch.co.uk. That's the one. Awesome. Hey, Laura. Thank you very much for, for joining me today, for sharing all of this. I am looking forward to see what that mystery product is that you're bringing out. <laughs> all will be revealed. Cool. Stay tuned. <laughs> Have an awesome day, okay? You too. Take right. care. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, that was Laura Stageman, the founder of Watch, on episode 34 of the Plan-Based Entrepreneur Show. Now, in case you missed it, the links to the website and social media channels are in the show notes, along with the links to everything else that we discussed in this interview. So you can find it all on the website if you go to theplanbasedentrepreneur.com forward slash show forward slash episode 034. Now, once again, if you want to learn more about vegan fashion, if you want to go even deeper into the business side of it and learn exactly how the biggest vegan brands are doing this from the people behind these brands, then I would love for you to join us at the Vegan Business Summit from September 12th to September 18th. Fashion and materials are just one of the seven areas of the industry that we will be covering. And the best thing is this event is free and you don't have to travel to attend because it will be happening online. But to find out even more, go to veganbusinesssummit.com. The registration for the event opens on July 12th, one week from now. But at the moment, you can still help us prepare the questions for our speakers. So if you go to the website, veganbusinesssummit.com, you click on the big button that says Start Survey. And then you just let us know what questions you would like our speakers to answer. Super simple and it literally takes less than three minutes to do. So that's what's coming September 12th. I know it's still a way off, but I'm really excited about it because it's going to be big and it's actually never been done before. So you've never been able to hear so many vegan business experts in one event. So if you want to learn more about all the new opportunities that are opening up in this space, then make sure that you join us. And also, I want to give a big shout out here to everyone who's already sent us their questions and their suggestions. We really appreciate all the support and if there's anything in particular that you want to discuss, whether for this event or for the show, you can always reach out to me directly at jerry at theplanbasedentrepreneur.com. So that brings us to the end of another episode. I will talk to you again next week. Until then, remember to stay amazing and keep creating that plan-based future.